you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen and all right, you guys be seated. What a great and incredible morning, team. Thanks for leading us. Uh, Happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, Socrates already uh, said it, but we're celebrating the the continual march toward freedom uh, that this country represents, that we haven't gotten it perfectly, uh, but we continue to seek after a more perfect union and ultimately our hope resting not in a nation, not in a government, but in the one who has set us free, where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, and we celebrate that this morning. Hey, I want to um, just pause and, and thank the team for leading in, in Nikki and I's absence last week. Um, I hope I look a little tanner than I normally do. I was on vacation and somebody said, you look tan and relaxed. I said, well, at least half of that is true. So uh, I do feel a little more tan. But um, I also want to thank Pastor Chris Bacon. If you were here last Sunday, uh, Pastor Chris bringing a word on on being a spirit-led family um, and what it looks like uh, to be spirit-led in our homes. Parents, I know whether you have young children Uh, middle school, high school, even adult children, your goal, your desire is that they would uh, grow up to learn not just the rules to follow, but the one that their hearts were created to follow, that they would know Jesus. And Holy Spirit is the one who does that work. And it was a great reminder last week uh, from from Pastor Chris uh, about that. Hey, I also want to just one more thing before we kind of pivot toward the message. Um, If you're a man in the room, and by man I would say maybe anybody 12 years up Uh, 12 years old or older, we've got our men's huddle happening this coming Wednesday morning, July 6th. That's the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, And this week is kind of a special treat. My good friend and Horizon West Church member Chris Denbeston um, is going to bring a word on four different times where the Spirit called him to action and he was obedient and what God produced through that. Chris has been a great business leader throughout his career, has a lot of wisdom, and most of all, he's a Spirit-led follower of Jesus. So men, I want to invite you this coming Wednesday at our Oasis campus. You can find the information on our uh, website as well. Uh, Hey, I want to talk this morning as we continue in our series about Holy Spirit and I want to make a little bit of a pivot that actually started last week with Pastor Chris Bacon. I said, Chris, I want to um, I want to kind of move past what we've been doing, which is laying the foundation for the work of Holy Spirit in our individual lives. And I want to start looking at what happens when Holy Spirit uh, works in power through the corporate body of believers. In other words, what does it look like for a church when the Holy Spirit of God has free access and free reign? And so that started last week kind of looking at what does that look like for a family? Now I want to look at what it looks like for a local church. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Uh, This is before Jesus' instructions on Holy Spirit, but listen to what he says. Again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am among them. Now this verse is fascinating to me because the reality is that we know Holy Spirit is within anyone who is a follower of Jesus. And it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, Chris, when you're by yourself on the back porch and you're having your quiet time, I'm not there. But if you'll bring a friend along, 
you bring your wife along, you bring your family, where two or three are, I'm there. You go, that can't be what he's meaning, correct? Right, we know, we know that at all times, the Holy Spirit of God is active and present in the lives of believers, but there's an important word that happens in this text that I want to draw your attention to. Jesus says, when more than one come together, when the community of believers come together, there I am among them. Among them. I want that to just hang over us for for a minute. Let, Let me ask this question. How many of you in April, May, June of 2020 started feeling the effects of not being able to gather with other believers? Anybody feel that? Man, I'll tell you, Uh, even missing one Sunday last week. It was fantastic to be away. It was a great time together with my wife. But I even started feeling the effects of being like, man, I miss being with my church. I miss being with you because there is a sense of Holy Spirit movement among us that only happens when we gather together. The reality this morning is that on your own, you can do a lot of things that build your faith. You can consume great preaching and teaching online, far better than what you're going to hear here. You can do that. You can find that on your own. You can have powerful worship experiences with a YouTube playlist or Spotify or or, or whatever it might be. You can even give to charities. You can give to the church remotely. And I encourage you to do so by texting GIVE to 40777. You can do all of that and much more alone. And yet the promise of Jesus is that when believers come together in community, that he's there among them in a unique and special way. Now I want to acknowledge that there's a a real inadequacy of language when it comes to the songs that we sing, right? Like, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, We sing the song, come fill this place and flood our atmosphere. Or the song, Spirit of God, come and take your place. Or the one we sang this morning, Spirit, come move over us, rest on us. And somebody in the room is going to go, we shouldn't sing that because the truth is the Holy Spirit's already moving. The Holy Spirit's already present. Why are we inviting him if he's already here? And I would say that what we're inviting is the manifest presence of Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 18. We want Holy Spirit not only to be active and at work in us individually, but we want the power of the community of saints coming together to manifest something in the spiritual realm that's even greater because Scripture says that's what's going to happen. Let me give you some examples of this biblically because I think it's important to start there. You remember at Pentecost, the, the believers are in the upper room and they're praying and Holy Spirit of God descends upon them like tongues of fire and they begin to speak in tongues and preach the gospel. I would say that's a manifestation of Holy Spirit that goes beyond the the active presence that he always has within us. Let me give you another one. In Acts chapter four, the, the disciples, Peter and John, have been like beaten to a bloody pulp, and rather than doing what I might do and what many of us might be tempted to do and going, well, not going through that again, they gather together in a room And scripture says that they began to pray with such fervency that the place where they were praying was actually shaken and the Holy Spirit empowered them to continue to do ministry. So so these are examples of the manifest presence of Holy Spirit and I think that is important. I, I think it's important not only that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us as the guarantee of our future redemption, 
but that he is active in power among us to the point where people can see and take notice and go, there's something real happening at Horizon West Church. There's something real happening at Life Church and Discovery and Mosaic and, and wherever believers are gathered and the Holy Spirit is present. Remember about a year ago, as I was just longing for this manifestation of Holy Spirit in the, in the life of Horizon West Church and praying for specific things and then just being prompted to go, you know what, I'm not even God gonna pray for, for specific things. Because what, what's true is when the Holy Spirit manifests in the scripture, it doesn't look the same every time. Sometimes somebody's healed. Sometimes they speak in tongues. Sometimes the, the gospel is preached with greater effectiveness and power. I don't want to prescribe to the Holy Spirit how he manifests. I just want to ask him to do so. As an example of this, I've just in the last few years taken to in my teams that I lead, I, I've taken to doing this. I say, hey, as we've got an event coming up or we've got a, a ministry that we're doing and, and that's somebody else's area on the team, I'll say, here's what I want to see. Here's what I want the outcome to be. But you decide how we get there. Uh, like you, student coordinator, you, kids ministry coordinator, you, campus director, you, that, that's your area. You decide the, the process, but I'm just looking for this outcome. How much more with the Holy Spirit of God might we say, God, I don't care how you do it. I just want to see you come. I just want to see you take your place in the lives of people. I want to see you manifest among us, through us, and in us. And so what I want to do as we begin to break down what it looks like when Holy Spirit manifests among us, I want to pause just long enough to do what we did a couple of weeks ago and invite him here. Can we do that? And with one change, I've been praying in the mornings, Holy Spirit, good morning, have your way in me. But what I want to do is I want to today say, Holy Spirit, good morning, have your way in us. Can we do that? As the, as the church body gathered, can we pray that prayer? I want to encourage you, just palms up, pray this with me. Holy Spirit, good morning, have your way in us. One more time. Good morning, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. What does it look like when Holy Spirit has his way in us as a church body? I want to give you three uh, examples of this. There could be others. I think these are the three primary ones. And what this might become is sort of a litmus test to which you can hold us as leaders to. And if at some point the Lord leads you to another church or you move to another place, you can know to look for these things aside from the lights, the cameras, the action that you can know. Is this a Holy Spirit moving church? Number one, when Holy Spirit moves in the local church, Jesus will be exalted. Jesus is exalted. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, uh, this, is, this is the great teaching on the Holy Spirit's work in the corporate body of believers. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are basically the blueprints for what they should expect and how they can partner with the Holy Spirit's work in the local church. Here's how he starts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, and by the way, he's writing to Corinth, they were definitely pagans. He says, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. 
Now what's going on in Corinth is that these pagan people who are now followers of Jesus have been accustomed to ecstatic worship experiences that had nothing to do with Jesus. They would go into the temples and they would take uh, part in the most uh, horrific and derogatory acts and they would say, this is our act of worship to the gods. And Paul's saying, no, 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 listen. (laughs) However it feels in the moment, whatever emotion comes along with it, it's not the Holy Spirit unless Jesus is exalted in and through it. Now, I, I, I don't think necessarily that what Paul's meaning to say is that you can't vocalize the words, Jesus is Lord, without the Holy Spirit. The reality is you can. In fact, every person who's been baptized, at least in the last decade, at Horizon West Church and our John Young campus, we have them say the same thing. They get in the water, they say their name, and they say, Jesus is Lord. Now, I would love to know that every single one of those people is actually a saved, believing follower of Jesus, but the truth is, my guess is they're probably not all that. But they were still able to say Jesus is Lord. The reason this is important is, you know, when I was growing up, someone taught me that if you encounter somebody who appears to be manifesting a demonic spirit, make them say Jesus is Lord because demons can't do that. Can I be honest with you? I'm not sure that that's true. I'm not sure the enemy is that dumb, if I can be honest. Here's what Paul's getting at. No one can live under the lordship of Jesus without the Holy Spirit of God. You can walk around and say it all you want. Oh yeah, I'm saved. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. What Paul's getting at is when somebody lives under the submission of the Lord Jesus, it's evidence of Holy Spirit. When a church is exalting Jesus, not just with our words, but with our actions and our lifestyles, it's evidence the Holy Spirit is among us and that he's in us. I want to remind you what I said a couple weeks ago. The primary role of Holy Spirit is to glorify God the Father by exalting God the Son. We can strip it all down to that most basic common denominator. All of the other experiences, all of the ecstatic, wonderful things that Holy Spirit wants to do, his primary purpose is that the Father is glorified and the Son is exalted. This is why, friends, and it's important to say this, this is why good works are not always a sign of the Holy Spirit's movement. The 21st century, we're seeing a surge of popularity in in good works, in in charitable gifts, in, in some ways virtue signaling. I'm one of the good guys. Look what I stand for. If Jesus isn't the end result of that, it's not born of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that we need to stop doing those things. It's just very possible to do a lot of good things so that I get exalted. And that's not what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's not the purpose for which Holy Spirit exists. We say often at Horizon West Church that we exist to be a diverse community of good friends together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus. And the reason we do it in that order is the good news of Jesus is the end result of everything that we do. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. (laughs) That's that's who we're seeking to glorify. 
And so as you seek to make a difference in the world, as you seek to leave an impact, make sure that what's behind that is the power of the Holy Spirit driving people toward Jesus because he's who they really need. The world doesn't need more of your charitable gifts. They need more of Jesus. Now, I want to speak to something that's going to feel like it's going in a strange place, but I think you'll understand why. I've been telling you for several weeks that we're going to get to the issue of speaking in tongues, okay? Anybody excited for this? Okay. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to prescribe what the Holy Spirit's doing, but my plan is not for us to all bust out and speaking in tongues right now. But, but let me just break this down. Let me just break this down. Why would I address the tongues issue in this part about the exaltation of Jesus? Here's why. The end result of everything Holy Spirit does is to exalt Jesus, which means that the expression of speaking in tongues must be for the exaltation, uh, exaltation of Jesus. So what in the world does this speaking in tongues thing mean? Now, there are a lot of different views on this, and we, I would, I would uh, encourage us to be very charitable with people that believe differently than us. There are people that, that have a much more open view of tongues than the one that I might adopt. There are people that might have a much more closed view of tongues than the one that I might adopt. But I would submit to you that, that my position and the position as I've talked with leaders at First Orlando and our John Young campus is that, the, that speaking in tongues means two different things in the New Testament. You're like, what? <laughs> yes, two, two different types of tongues. One is an earthly language that is known by the hearer, but not by the speaker. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, the disciples, the men and women, are, are speaking in languages that they don't know, but the people hearing them go, hey, that's my language. You're, you're speaking Aramaic. You're speaking Greek. You're speaking whatever it might be. The hearers had not, or rather the, the speakers, had not studied the language I don't even think they were conscious of what they were saying in the moment. They were opening their mouth. Holy Spirit was translating their words and the hearers were able to hear what was happening. And I hope you hear in that. They were able to hear the exaltation of Jesus. They were able to hear the good news of the gospel. They were able to understand in fresh ways who Jesus was and why he had come. But there is, I believe, a second type of tongues that we see in the New Testament. Now, it would be much easier to just put it all in one category and go, well, that's always what it means. But here's the problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 to 19. I'm going to read this for you, and I want you to figure out if you can make this make sense with the kind of tongues I told you about. 1 Corinthians 14. Paul writing, if I pray any tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he, notice this, the hearer, doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, Paul says. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It becomes apparent, at least to me, that Paul is making reference to another type of tongues. The, the Greek word is glossia. That there's another type of tongue that is not known to the speaker nor to the other hearers, 
but to God. You notice he says, if I pray in the Spirit. It appears that Paul's referring to something that is simply between the person and God. Sometimes this is called a prayer language. Now there are people in our church uh, family that regularly pray in tongues between them and the Lord. I thank God for that. There are others who don't think that's a legitimate thing and that's okay. This is not something I believe that, that is a mark of spirituality. In fact, it is this second type of tongues that is the gift of tongues. The other is simply a manifestation. It's very possible that you could be in some foreign language and you're trying to communicate to somebody and they're understanding you and you don't really even know what you're saying. That's a, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. But some, Paul seems to indicate, have a gift, a prayer language, an ability to speak in a tongue to God that they regularly exercise. And here's what it does. It too exalts Jesus. You ask how? Well, let me offer at least one possibility. We who live in the 21st century American culture, we've gotten really, really smart. <laughs> we can figure so many things out. We rely so heavily on our mind and our intellect and we use our mind and our intellect to carefully navigate, navigate scripture and to defend against error. And all of that is good. But I think God is saying, hey, sometimes when you're praying, your intellect's gonna fall short. <laughs> These beautiful words you wanna bring to me, they're not gonna do the trick. And there are some who have navigated a spiritual path to the place where they're praying in their spirit, and I believe it's the Romans 8 groanings of the Holy Spirit that can't be expressed in words, it's just that they're physically coming out of the person and not kept within. And Paul says, I do this, many of you do this. He says, but here's the thing, in the church, I want to hear more intelligible words that build up and instruct others, okay? So, so tongues, like everything the Spirit does, exists to exalt Jesus. If this ever becomes a point of divisiveness or creates chaos or, or creates division among believers, it's not the Holy Spirit. So, so we want to navigate that carefully. The most important thing I would leave you with in this idea of Jesus being exalted and, and tongues, wherever tongues is divorced from the exaltation of Jesus, it's not from the Spirit, okay? When it just becomes a circus, when it just becomes a, a look how, how spiritually gifted I am, that's not from Holy Spirit. It exists to exalt Jesus. Secondly, manifestation of Holy Spirit in our midst means that the, ch the church will be strengthened, in fact, Paul kind of weaves this thread all throughout 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And the passage where this is made most clear, you're going to hear it, is in reference to this gift of tongues. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 14. Brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? For if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do, uh, do not give distinct notes, no one's going to know what is played. And if the bugle gives a distinct and indistinct sound, no one will get ready for battle. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We're going to be limited in our time today to go into the full depth of what Paul wants to unpack in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. But this is where the idea of spiritual gifts, familiar with that term, spiritual gifts, is made the most explicit. So because we don't have time for it and because I'm not 
an expert on the subject, I, I'm going to uh, just give you a little teaser. Next Sunday, I've asked Pastor Jimmy Knott, Dr. Jimmy Knott, to come and preach on spiritual gifts. If you know Jimmy or you know his ministry, you know that there is not a person probably in your life or mine who has studied the issue of spiritual gifts or is more passionate about it than Jimmy Knott. So that, that's going to be next week. We're not going to do a deep dive on that. That will come. Um, and by the way, at the conclusion of my message today, I'm going to give you some homework because Jimmy gave it to me and I'm passing it along. So if you know Jimmy, that's not surprising. I've shared with you the context of this Corinthian church. These believers were mostly Gentiles coming out of radically pagan, radically lost situations. And in the middle of this, Paul, Paul gives them an affirmation. He says, Corinthians, Verse 12, he says, I know that you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit. Can we say amen to that? I'm eager for manifestations of the Holy Spirit in my life and in the life of the church. The problem with the Corinthians was not their heart. It was in the right place. The problem was that the Corinthian church and many churches since them have gotten completely sidetracked and completely caught up in what I might call and others have called the sensational gifts. Wow, man, I don't know how that guy's able to speak in tongues like that. That's, that's incredible. That's a spiritual person right there. <laughs> or somebody has a word of prophecy and they say, hey, I believe we're going to see this coming in our church. We're going to see this coming into our nation. And then it, it's happening. Go, man, that person, it's almost like they can predict the future. That's really cool. And Paul goes, time out, church. <laughs> time out. Don't get sidetracked with what is sensational. Uh, the, the, what, what, matters, what matters is not how sensational the gift is, but how useful it is in building others up. That's what matters. One time Jesus sent the disciples out to, to cast out demons and to heal, and, and, and they come back and they're like, Jesus, this was incredible. Best missions trip I've ever been on. He said, even the demons submit to, you in, uh, 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 submit to us in your name. And Jesus says, yeah. He's so affirming, so gracious. Yeah, disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Well done. And then he says this, but don't rejoice at this. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Don't get caught up in what is ecstatic and sensational and, and powerful and go, wow, the mark of spirituality. Paul says, no, 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 no. And you know what he does right in the middle of the spiritual gifts teaching in, in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm nothing. The warning for the Corinthian church, the warning for Horizon West Church and every church around the world is, friends, the mark of spirituality is not how cool your gift is. The mark is if you use it to love God and love people well. There are, there are people in our midst. I was sitting here during the worship time and, and watching our, our pianist and our, and our, our guitarist and, and Max on the drums and like, man, I don't know how they do that. I don't know how they get the, their fingers to do all, it's, it's like, and they never make a mistake. I know they think everyone, they're like, yeah, we really botched. And I'm like, didn't hear a single note go wrong. It was perfect, right? They're that good at what they do. Hearing Socrates just, just carefully and, and, and pastorally lead us through freedom now and, and the freedom we long for in Christ. And go, man, that's a gift that he's been given to, to lead and to shepherd. But, but here's the reality. It's not all about what happens on the stage. 
I'm equally marveling at the gifts that these guys in the back have to move buttons around. And you don't know who they are and you don't see their face, but they're doing incredible work using their gifts to serve the church. I, I marvel at some of you who, your, your ability to make people feel welcome, to remember names, to, to simply with a smile and a handshake, let somebody know you belong here. That's a gift of Holy Spirit. And all of those gifts being woven together are building up the church, exalting Jesus and glorifying God who called us together. And I love all of it. Paul, Paul goes into, and Jimmy may do this next week, Paul goes into this idea that the church is a body. He says, it works like this. You have one body. Hopefully everybody has one body, right? No more, no less, it's one. He goes, but yeah, but you got fingers, you got toes, you got tendons and joints, you got a tongue, you got ears, you got all these different parts. And all those parts come together as one body to work together for the good of the self. He says, this is the way it is in Christ. In fact, let me, let me read for you 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. If you're assisting in a preschool class or running a camera or greeting first-time guests, and you're doing this with a heart to lovingly serve others, your gift is needed within this church. Let me put it in the negative. If I stand on this stage and use the gift of preaching and teaching that God has given me to get a couple extra attaboys, to exalt myself, to, to set myself up for some better opportunity that, that I might get for, you don't need that. <laughs> and, and no matter how eloquent, no matter how gifted, no matter how cool, no matter how, whatever it is, when someone's preaching the word of God, leading in worship, doing some of the more public gifts, hold them to this. Does this person love God and do they love us? I remember Pastor David talking about as a, as a young pastor and, and, you know, 23, 24. And if you know David Youth, you know one of the most gifted pastors that's ever walked planet Earth. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. He said early in his pastoral days, one of the deacons pulled him aside and they said, David, you're, you're so gifted. You're a great communicator. You know the word. You, you love teaching. We see all of that. He said, but David, here's the problem. You don't love us. And David said that hit him between the eyes. A loving rebuke to say, this isn't really about us, is it? This isn't, this isn't, this isn't what you're using the gift for. And, and David made a pivot, made a commitment. I'm only going to use my gift to exalt Jesus and to build up the church. Whatever your gift is, we need all of them. In fact, this would be a great time to enlist serving and volunteers. We need your presence and, your, and what we need is you. It's not you to go figure out how to do something different. It's you to show up and allow the Holy Spirit of God to manifest in a way that builds up other believers. Third, final purpose, I believe, primary purpose of the Holy Spirit's manifesting in our midst is this, that when he does so, the lost are saved. This language is not popular <laughs> um, because it sounds a little us and them. And I, I acknowledge, again, somewhat the inadequacy of words, but, but I'm not going to apologize for this simple fact. We believe through the teaching of the Bible and the clear presentation of the gospel, that people are, bo are born bent. We're born, as Isaiah said, like sheep going astray. We have a natural drift. It's like the alignment of our vehicle when it's out. We drift toward things that are destructive. We drift toward missing the mark, what the Bible calls sin. And Jesus came to save 
lost people. He came to make us right with God positionally and then make us right in our thoughts, behaviors, and actions through the sanctifying work of Holy Spirit. He came to save the world, to seek and save the lost. So, so th- this morning, in fact, I pulled up to the, uh, the back here and three different men were on my mind, men who are far from God. And I just prayed, God, I'm praying for this person, I'm praying for this person, I'm praying for this person. A little while later, about eight o'clock, I got together with a few of our, our leadership team and we prayed and we prayed for lost people. We prayed that God would save those who are lost. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you'll remember, I told you, no one is saved without the Holy Spirit's drawing. No one just wakes up and has an epiphany and goes, you know what, I think I need Jesus. When someone is saved, it's because the Holy Spirit of God has been drawing them, wooing them, working on them, enticing them, leading them to Jesus. And here's what Paul says is going to happen when a church is working the right way, when Jesus is exalted and the church is being strengthened, even within a Sunday morning church service, here's an example of what can happen. 1 Corinthians 14, 25. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, God is really among you. See, I believe one of the questions that so many people within the the few miles around Horizon High School, the 38 square miles that make up Horizon West, so much of what they're asking is, is God really among you? Or is this a political machine? Is this a religious cult? Is this just a, is this just a club? Paul says, no. Man, when the Holy Spirit manifests in the lives of believers who are gathered, people should walk in and go, man, this is real. I don't, I don't know it. I, don't, I haven't put all the pieces together, but something real is happening here that goes beyond what I can explain. God must truly be in their midst. This is why for the last several weeks, we've been renewing our emphasis on prayer before and during and even after services. If it's true and we believe it is that Jesus says, you can't accomplish anything apart from me, we work too hard for that to be the case. Like we work too hard to produce nothing. We're asking, we're saying, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, would you manifest among us so that people are saved, so that the harvest that is around us is brought in For the last many decades, the church in America, at least, has been wrestling with a a question. Who is church for? Have you ever thought about that? Who is the church for? Two primary camps. One one would say that the church exists for lost people. There was really, probably starting in the 70s, what's now called the seeker-sensitive movement. It was a recognition that the church had gotten too inwardly focused. It It become too much like a club. And lost people walk in and It's kind of like, oh, why are you here? And they kind of shuffle their way to the seats or maybe they've got long hair or tattoos and they're kind of made to feel, and the secret sensitive movement says, no, 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 we're going to correct this. We're going to exist to where when lost people walk in, they're loved, they're welcomed. We embrace that and yet we recognize that's not the only reason the church exists. And so there's been kind of this allergic reaction in the last decade or two uh, by some mostly younger, you know, excited pastors and preachers going, man, we're pushing this thing off the cliff. The church exists to equip believers to go out and change the world. And they're arguing about it. And I'm going, is it this or is it that? And, and you know my answer. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Do you really think the Holy Spirit of God is that impotent? He goes, no, 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 can't save anybody. This is for Christians. <laughs> or, hey, we got to just focus on lost people because there's no way they're getting saved unless they come to church. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Can it not be possible that as we're exalting Jesus and the body's coming together, using our gifts to strengthen one another to go out and be the difference, that at the same time, lost people do what they were doing in Corinth and go, God really is here that people are saved. It was happening then. The truth is it's happening now. The Holy Spirit of God is big enough, powerful enough to do it all and to do it all at the same time. In the Old Testament, God comes to Solomon, a young king, and he says very simply, just a few short words, he says, Solomon, ask, what shall I give you? In other words, it's the genie in the bottle thing. Man, you can have any one thing that you want. And Solomon said, I want one more wish. No, I'm kidding. He, he didn't. Um, he says, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon says, wisdom to lead your people. I thought about that this week. If God were to show up to me and say, Chris, one thing that I'm going to give you, one thing that, that you're going to set your life to, that I'm going to bless and, and that's going to prosper, and I would say this, God, would you give us the souls of people? Would you give us Horizon West? Would we see not a few, not dozens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus and having their lives transformed? If there's one thing that I seek here in our midst, I seek that God would do this very thing. The exciting thing is that it has already begun to happen and we wanna just pour fuel on that fire. In fact, we're calling for a Sunday coming up. I think we're going to do it on August 7th. Many of you have talked to us, different ones, Marcy, Socrates, myself, Nikki. Hey, we, we want to be baptized or our child. And we know, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a baptism Sunday on the calendar. And, and, and we just want to prompt you, not, not to manipulate, but to say, hey, if you've been wrestling with this, you feel the Holy Spirit of God drawing you into this, here's a Sunday that we can do this, that we could see several people be baptized. So August the 7th. Hopefully the summer's kind of over. We're getting back into the routine. But August 7th, we're going to see people baptized right here at Horizon West Church. Listen, baptism doesn't save people. But baptism is the outward evidence that the internal part has been saved, that, that God has saved our souls. And we want to celebrate that. And we want to see more and more of that in the days to come. I want to close in this way, very, very practically, not a big emotional uh, hurrah at the end. Uh, this is where I'm going to give you your homework assignment. Y'all ready? You're like, it's summertime. Come on, really? It's homework. Here we go. Uh, if you would this week, uh, I'd encourage you to do it early in the week so you don't forget and, and, and fail to do it. But I want to encourage you to go to jimmynot.com. And Jimmy has free assessments. In fact, if you click on assessments and spiritual gifts test, it's a free assessment, 20 to 25 minutes to take it. Now, here, here's the disclaimer. There is no list in the Bible of exhaustive spiritual gifts. And I believe the Spirit is, is, uh, is uh, flexible enough and powerful enough. There may be spiritual gifts that exist in the 21st century, like technology, that didn't exist in those days. I don't know. But here's what it can be. It can be a starting kit to help you to understand the ways in which you've been uniquely designed to exalt Jesus, build up the church, and help to reach lost people. And some of you are going to take this test, you're going to go, Chris, I, I found that I have the gift of mercy. What does that mean? I can show you some places where the gift of mercy is desperately needed. 
You go, Chris, I have the gift of, of leadership, administration. I can show you places. In other words, I want this to become intensely practical that when you leave after next Sunday, you've already taken a spiritual gifts test. Jimmy comes behind that to preach God's word about it, and then you're ready to go. You're ready to step into the ways that God has uniquely created you to make a difference in the world around you. Can we do that? Okay. I'm going to pray. Team, I invite you to come back up. We're going to pray as we close. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for your goodness. God, we thank you for your wisdom that goes beyond anything we could imagine. That, that you are sovereign, that you are providential, that you order the events of history, that you sit over all of it. But God, not only that you would sit over us, not only that you would sit over our world, but God, by Holy Spirit, you have entered into our lives, into our hearts, our minds. We're just praying again, Lord, we welcome you. Would you have your way in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.